Okay, we got a lot of fun things happening today. First, though, I want to give opportunity for anybody who would like to share how it went this week doing anonymous kindness things this week. Did anybody have a um, a story they'd like to share? Ava, do you have one? No? Okay. Priscilla? This seems there's anybody else. Anybody else want to share? Okay, Priscilla, come on up. Right here, right there. Hi, again, I'm Priscilla. Um, I have been having some very cool conversations with some of my managers at my work. I work at Hobby Lobby. And over the past month or so, I've had the opportunity to talk with them and just mostly listen as they tell a little bit of their story. Um, And I was talking to one of my managers who has a 15-year-old daughter, and basically he was just saying how they have moved here to San Antonio, and she's feeling very frustrated and very alone. And sort of just, you know, telling him that I was sorry for what he was having to deal with and then sorry for her as well. Um, anyways, um, last Sunday night I was doing my devotions, doing my outflow, and I was praying and asking the Lord, okay, God, what do you want me to do with my, my kisses? Um, and who, who do you want me to give this to? And he reminded me of the conversation I'd had with my boss about his daughter. And he said, I want you to give it to her. I'm like, um, well, I don't know her. I've never met her. There's no way I could come in contact with her, so you're going to have to give me an idea. So I ended up writing a note to her and taking it to work and giving it to my manager and just saying, hey, um, I want you to give this to your daughter just as a simple act of, you know, and I gave him the kisses as well. And I left it open. I said, hey, you know, I know you might want to check this, make sure it's not anything weird. But um, I basically just wrote to her and just said, hey, um, you know, this is, I can see, I can, I heard from my boss that you're going through a hard time, and I just want you to know that somebody cares about you and that God um, sees where you're at, and he really sympathizes with where you're at. And um, if you ever need somebody to talk to, here's my email address. So, anyways, it was, it felt very, very natural. It didn't feel like anything forced. And after I'd given it to my boss, it was like, wow, that was really cool. Um, almost as if a load had been taken off in some sense of a way. But anyways. Thank you, Priscilla. Okay, here's another one. Come on. I was hoping for more. Yeah. Um, this is actually from our community party, but that we did for Halloween. We had a most of the community, adult community groups had a party in the neighborhood uh, Halloween party for their neighborhood people. Anyway, we did also, but. Every so often people were asking us, you know, why are you guys doing this? And I'm sure we all had different answers. Um, and most of them just kind of general, just trying to do something nice for the community and didn't want to be real pushy with anybody, I think was kind of the consensus of our group. But this one neighbor was from like two or three streets down, way down the street. We had C and I actually passed out flyers on his street the night before Halloween. So I was like, yeah, we got his street, you know. But he stayed there the whole night. And his family eventually went home, his wife and his kids went home, and he just stayed there just, like, hanging out, talking, socializing, you know. And he really probably talked to every single one of us who were there at some point during the evening. And he finally was leaving, and I was like, dang it, where's those business cards? (laughs) Because here's, I mean, he's been here the whole night. And so I finally saw him, like, down the street, still talking to more people, and chased him down and handed him one of the business cards. And he goes, okay. And he's, what he says is a reference on the church. And I just thought it was funny he chose to use that word. It wasn't 
I would gather by that he wasn't a Christian. He was like, oh, you know, just a reference on the church was how he, he put it. And I said, yeah. I said, just in case, you know, you and your family ever want to come and thanks for coming out to our party. So anyway, um, just taking kind of the next step beyond, hey, we're here to just bless you kind of anonymously to, hey, here's an invitation to somebody particular who had made it clear they wanted to at least hang out with people. So anyway. Are there any other stories from any of the other community groups that want to share before we move on? I can't. But anybody else? That's very cool. Well, you know, while you were at it, um, three of the adult community groups had outreaches uh, for their neighborhoods. And I think uh, some of the youth helped on one of them, and that was very cool. Could you, those of you that are were participating in that, can you just stand? I just want to thank the Lord for your work. You're holding a baby, you can't stand, you can raise your hand. There you go. Father, I just thank you for um, this army, Lord, that you prospered and used this week. And, Lord, I pray that the seed that they flung out to their neighborhoods, Father, would land on good soil, that the evil one would not be able to steal it, Lord. We pray that you would bring people along to water it, to pull out the weeds, Lord, and to uh, multiply it. And, Father, we just thank you for the faithfulness of these folks, Lord. And may their works, Father, not be in vain, but be full, Father, of prosperity. And may your kingdom be advanced. And, Father, we pray for those neighbors that stopped to talk and found out there was a connection somehow, Lord, to the church. That you would bring that back to their mind when they need it most. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Can we just give them a hand, y'all? Good job. I think, um, Donna, how many folks do you think you guys um, got to touch that night? About 150. Okay. And um, Randy's group? About 80. All right. And Joy's group, how many do you think you think? 120. Wow, that's 350 people. That's awesome. They were touched. I think you all got rid of your candies real good that way. <laughs> that, was, that was a great thing. Great touches. Thank you. Okay, now I've asked Robert and Jennifer Chevalier. Did I say that right? Chevalier. 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 Okay, I asked them to come forward and share what God's been doing uh, with them and their family and their community group. There you go. If I fall, it's your fault, Donna. Okay. All right. Well, my name is Jennifer, and this is my husband, Robert. And uh, did you want to say anything, honey? Oh, he wants me to do all the talking. Okay. Well, we're here today uh, to share about how God is using us to reach our neighborhood children for Christ. And... um, Robert and I had uh, previously been praying for and wanting to reach out to a certain group of adults, yet God had something else in mind, and that's what I'm sharing with you today. In the last two to three years, we have seen God at work in the lives of our children's friends. God has drawn many of these children to our family through friendship and several outreaches that our community group did, such as Halloween and the 4th of July. About a year ago... I heard my um, my son, Blake, who's sitting over there, who's five years old, pray the sinner's prayer with one of his friends named Chris. 
Chris has attended church with us on occasion and recently attends our community group. Ashton, our 11-year-old, has become close friends with a boy named Kyler, who's sitting over there. (laughs) He spends every day at our house and has participated in family devotions. Kyler has shown interest in learning more about God and has attended church with us on numerous occasions. Recently, a young girl named Chloe, who's sitting over there, has been hanging around our house along with several other children. Chloe told me that her mother would like her to play with Ashton rather than the other kids in the neighborhood. Her mom said that Ashton was a good influence on her and encouraged her to stay at our house when she could not be home for Chloe. We found Chloe crying one night and invited her to stay at our house until she felt safe to go home. Ever since then, Chloe has been attending our community group each week and has come to church with us. We were pleasantly surprised when Chloe's mother told us that she would like her to attend our community group every week because she wants her to learn about God. Robert and I have spoken to the parents of many of these children and have invited them to our community group, yet many children continue to visit our home daily and have grown attached to both of us. None of this would have been possible without these kids experiencing the love and grace of God flowing in and through our lives and the lives of our children. This has been possible through the outflow of God's love to us from our community group. They have been a great support not only in helping us show the love of Christ to these children, but by being there for us during difficult times in our own lives. Although Robert and I, as well as our community group, had our hearts set on reaching other, another group of people, God was at work doing something else. As we saw God touching the lives of the children, we made adjustments in, our, in how our community group did things. We began to not only be upward-focused, but outward-focused as well. And I'm just going to challenge you today. What is God doing around you? Who are the people God has placed around you? You may be pleasantly surprised as we were. I guess there I hear a second. Isn't that awesome? Okay, we're going to lay hands on y'all. Father, I just thank you for this couple and for their children, Lord, that you've called them to um, be filled of your spirit and to go about your business in Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria, Lord, and unto the ends of the earth. And Father, we thank you for the community group, Father, as they've worked together as family to um, reach out, Father, to these young folks. And, Lord, we pray that uh, you would prosper the seed, Lord, that has been planted in these kids, and that you would fill them, Father, with uh, love and passion for you and your church and your cause. And, Father, I pray that uh, when it gets tight, um, for Robert and Jennifer financially, that Father, you would extend um, grace upon them and unexpected monies, Father, would come on their way, Father, to um, reach out and feed these kids that come through their doors. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can those kids that she was talking about stand up so we can clap for y'all? You guys want to turn around and just clap for them? We're glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you for making the vineyard your home. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's awesome. That's very fun. Um, well, about three weeks ago, we started a series called Outflow, 
and the theme that the verse this oh, I can't talk I'm just a little I'm a, a bit emotional with that testimony actually um, kids are really important to God so anyway so we started this um, series and the scripture that we used for you know what I didn't excuse the kids did I alrighty kids they want to go to your classes you may be excused Alrighty. Okay, if you can look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and that is the theme of our series that we've been going through, which says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we see basically God describing in this verse a pattern of relationship and a pattern of expanding the kingdom. And it's a natural pattern that, that comes to us. Now, in our home, we have uh, a wall, wall fountain that has four tiers, and I've been using this icon as a representation of this verse that we're uh, teaching on. Now, the top tier stands for, the, uh, stands for me, stands for who I am in God. And in that place, a relationship with God, that I get filled and touched by God so much that it begins to flow out of my life naturally. That little top tier can only hold so much. And eventually, I'm just so full of God that it just begins to spill out. And that represents me. Now, the second tier represents um, Judea, which has to do with relationships with family and friends. And we talked about that a couple of weeks. But what happens is we get filled with the Holy Spirit. It's natural for us to begin to care for our friends and our family, those who are closest to us. And in the New Testament, the third neighborhood would have been Judea for most of the Christ's first followers. And for them, that was home. Now, the third tier represents Samaria, and that is the community around us. Those are the people that don't look like us, believe or act like we do. And this is going to be the focus of our teaching today. Let's pray. Well, Father, I just thank you that... um, you are doing a work in and through us. I thank you for filling us, Lord, with the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, that we're beginning to find ourselves without even noticing, splashing off on other people. And, Father, I pray for your power to come upon us today, that you would fill us, Lord, with your thoughts, with your extravagant love. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what is the most extravagant thing you've ever done? Just think about that. The most extravagant thing you ever did. Maybe you bought a new pair of shoes. Maybe you uh, bought a car that had automatic door locks. Or maybe you bought the latest iPod, video game, laptop. Maybe you bought a fishing boat or you went on a cruise. Now, for me, one of the most extravagant things that I ever did was go to Switzerland. I went for 10 days, and Matt and Tabitha, my kids, paid for the whole trip entirely for me. So I got to ski the Alps. That was pretty extravagant. I got to eat real apple strudel, and I really ate Swiss chocolate sitting at a cafe outside of the restaurant. Very nice. Extravagant is a relative word, but especially if you're a celebrity. Now let's think about Britney Spears. When she gets a haircut, she does not use ordinary scissors. She opts for a set of custom-ordered clippers, handmade and imported from Japan for a whopping three G's, or roughly the cost of 40 Flobies. Now, a South African-born man named Sol Kersner 
best known for his hotel and gambling tycoon. He's legendarily known for having extravagant parties. He will spend anywhere from fifteen to $30,000 per person for his parties. Last year, he invited 1,500 guests to his Paradise Island complex in the Bahamas, Atlantis Resort. And that's where John Travolta, Whitney Houston dined on lobster and were entertained by Stevie Wonder. How about YouTube Bono? Realized he had forgotten his favorite hat in England. So to prevent from it being crushed, he spent $1,700 to have it flown from London via British Airways on a first-class seat. <laughs> now, you've heard of people who, burn, um, who have money to burn? Now, in 1994, the British pop duo KLF piled 2,050-pound notes, which is about $1.7 million dollars and threw it into a bonfire and burned all $1.7 million. Stanley Burrell, also known as M.C. Hammer, squandered a $30 million fortune on mansions, luxury cars, nonstop partying, but in less than six years, he was bankrupt, and he was $13,700,000 in debt. So those of you who are struggling in debt, praise God, it's not that much. Okay, so we think extravagance is not um, like this, and it's not always bad. Some extravagant acts are fantastic. Let's look at Jesus. He promises us an abundant, overflowing life. In John 10.10, this is what he says. Now the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to its full. He's talking about a lifestyle that is so extravagant in spiritual power and generosity that people will stop and notice. Now, we're going to look in um, a chapter in Scripture that we've studied recently when we did our prayer series, but I want to look at it at a little different angle. Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 15. Now, Luke in chapter 15, it starts with verse 1. We're going to read 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, from the Pharisees' point of view, uh, by associating with the tax collectors and other kinds of sinners, Jesus was violating Psalm 1-1, which says, Oh, the joy of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. The Pharisees seem to be interpreting this scripture to mean that if you walk or stand or sit with sinners or anyone who compassionately reaches out to them is committing a sin. And this is very different from, the following, from following the advice of a sinner or scheming with them to do evil. This kind of pharisaical thinking is called guilt by association and is not at all what the verse means. I can be a doctor and spend all day with my patients. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be a sickie. It's possible I could get sick, but it doesn't mean I will be. Or just because I'm a shepherd and I hang out with sheep all day doesn't make me a sheep. So Jesus went on to tell these stories that may have been intended for the Pharisees to see how compassionless their thinking was. They reveal a God who consistently demonstrates extravagant compassion for us, his lost sheep. Now let's look at verse 3 to 6. Same chapter, Luke 15. 
Then Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does, does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Why risk so much for one sheep? Now do the math. Let's say that a sheep was worth $100. Okay, so the shepherd takes off and leaves $9,900 worth of sheep unattended. Okay, let's put aside the monetary considerations. How wise is it for that one shepherd to go off hunting for the lost sheep? He could have been hurt in the wilderness, far from anyone helping him. So why would anybody risk his or her life or livelihood for one sheep? Because it is the nature of caring. It is the nature of taking extravagant risks. Something about caring causes us to not calculate the risk that we're taking. Now, when our oldest three girls were um, the ages of four, five, and six, I used to take them once a month to go feed the poor in downtown Phoenix. I would join with a Catholic group, and they, we would make food together. Now, the girls would help by spreading peanut butter and stirring powder drinks inside five-gallon coolers. And then the team of adults, seven or ten, would go off to hand out sandwiches to serve food to the folks that lived in Tent City, as it was referred to in Phoenix. Now, I was told by the ministry leaders that usually only adults go to pass out food because sometimes the folks start fighting or rioting if they run out of food. And sometimes they talk with really rough language. Well, I told them we're different. I want my daughters to see why they're helping make sandwiches. I want them to see that behind service are real people. And so, you know, they let me go saying, well, do what you want, but we're not responsible for what might happen. I never told Randy about their potential threats because I was a little concerned he might tell me, you need to stop going. I wanted our girls to serve the poor, to experience God's compassion for the less fortunate. I had faith that God would either multiply the food so we wouldn't run out of food, or the presence of my daughters would calm their hearts. In all the months that we volunteered, not once did the crowd, and sometimes there were 750 people, would come and eat and eat uh, our sandwiches and the other stuff that we made. Never did they act indecently. I had one man actually thank me for bringing the girls. Their presence seemed to inspire the crowd to behave in orderly, calm ways. It tendered their hearts. Now, one of the street people, as they were referred to, gave joy um, our eldest daughter, a stable from a nativity set. I think he probably found it discarded in the trash. It didn't matter. He wanted to give something to the little girl who smiled to him month after month. You know, if you're not currently providing for your children opportunity to serve in the community, you might consider looking or creating opportunities for them. Now, this evening, Mike and his band, as it's being referred to, is going to go to visit the elderly at a retirement community. And the worship team goes with Mike, that's who his band is, to, to worship there and to visit then with the elderly. If you want to do something like this, I would highly encourage it. It's a lot safer than feeding the people on the streets. 
Bring your kids because they're usually the highlight of the event. Now back to the lost sheep parable. What is Jesus' point in this parable? Perhaps Jesus is asking, do you Pharisees, or in our case, church-going folks, really care about people who don't know Christ? Do you truly believe that there are people in the community who are lost and in spiritual danger? Okay, do you have that video ready? We've got a little video here about Izzy Miller. She's an ordinary, everyday Christian woman who decided to move out of her comfort zone. A friend of mine named Pam had this vision um, that she wanted to do a ministry for women. She finally just decided she would take the step of faith and rent the apartment right below her apartment downtown. Well, about that time, Pam was telling me about her vision and that she had just rented the place downstairs. And that's all it took. I was hooked. I told my daughter Becky about it, and she was hooked. So we uh, got our husbands involved in it. We went downtown uh, on quite a few Saturdays. We scraped and painted and uh, really dressed up the place. It finally opened um, a year ago. We just went out to the park and just told the ladies, hey, we're going to show a movie, we're going to have popcorn, just come and hang out with us. And really the purpose for our ministry is to show them God's love in a practical way. It was definitely a step out of my comfort zone to go downtown. Normally, I would be afraid to go down there. That would just be my natural person, you see, the person. You know, these women have gotten to be good friends of ours. It's not just, you know, these are just homeless women. These are real women, just like we are, but they've, they've just had a tough time. We have some ladies, you know, that come in on Saturdays and they're excited. They'll come in and say, Miss Issy, Miss Issy, or Miss Pam, or Miss Becky, or Miss Natalie, I've been clean all week, I've been clean all week. And they're so excited that they can tell somebody that they have done well. I think if you're in, in a group with people that are different from you, just, you have to be sensitive. I mean, you don't want them to be offended. That, that's the last thing. You, know, you can't offend somebody and then tell them, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, here's, I want to tell you about Jesus, you know. So sometimes you just have to get to know people first and, and know where they are in life because it's not always as it seems. Okay, okay I want you to do an exercise just with the person next to you, okay, or, if, you know, move a little bit if you need to get close to a person next to you. And I want you to ask each other this question. Share a couple of excuses that you've heard or maybe even used yourself for not reaching out to your community. So just share some excuses that you've heard why people don't reach out to their community. Okay, I think you have some time to exchange some words. What are some of the popular excuses? Just raise your hand. What did you guys come up with? Okay, let's get somebody else. Camille. Fear of rejection. Right. Don? Too busy. Mercy? I don't know what to say. Anthony? 
I'm shy. Any other excuses? Jim. I can't talk to them. I'll get trouble. You'll get trouble. You'll get in trouble at work. It's not my calling. Robert? There's some cultural issues. Mm -hmm. The football game is on. The truth comes out. All right. Those are bad excuses. Okay, now. Okay, now, I want you to, the same people that you're with, what might it look like if you did it with a community group? Okay? Or if you did this as a community group. Okay, talk about that. Reaching out to your community, what would it look like if you did it with your community group? Now, this is a great Sunday to have this question because most of you were doing stuff already this weekend. Okay. Okay, let's get your attention back here. Um, Without getting a lot of details at all, so don't be frightened, on Tuesday I had the opportunity to uh, meet a, a special couple in our church and just talk to them about some things going on in their life. And um, that night, the husband prayed to receive Christ. And the reason why I think it was so easy for him, besides being convinced that he needed God in his life, was the love that he was able to see happen to his family through his, commu- her, his wife's community group. And um, the community group has been ministering to his wife and his kids very effectively and has become like family to her. That's how we do it, folks. We do it as community groups. We do it as family. It's very hard, unless you're in the three percentile of um, this gifted with evangelism, to do it just all on your own. But when you begin to catch a vision of doing it as a body, as a family, it becomes a lot easier. You know, in um, our high school community group, Priscilla seems to be the one that goes out there and gets people hooked starts to reel them in. But when she brings them to our community group, our community group as a family ministers to that person. And I I wouldn't be surprised if this new 15-year-old girl will be the next catch. And by catch, I mean an opportunity to love people right where they're at. And we do it as community. We do it as family. It makes all the difference. Because some of you are shy. Some of you do not know what to say. Some of you are too busy. But when you know you do it as a family, it becomes a lot easier. Does that make sense? Now, um, Cho, who has the largest church in the world, last time that I read about it, it was at 750,000 member church in Korea. This is what he does. He has each community group pray at the beginning of the year, who is God leading us to love extravagantly? And they pray and they pray until they find a, a consensus. And it usually has related to somebody in the group feeling like God has just burdened me with this family or this person. And I really think this is what God's doing. And then that community group prays and seeks 
God on behalf of that individual of how they can extravagantly love that person so that they are convinced that God has a head because they've been touched by his body. Isn't that beautiful? And that is how that man has grown that church. With that and prayer, prayer is definitely a big part of that church growth. And they have changed that city. That is a lot of people to have going to your church, praying for people in their city. You, you can be sure that that city will never be the same because of that one church. Okay, now let's look at Luke 15, verses 8 to 10. Okay, so Jesus wants us to, to rejoice. Hey, can we rejoice, excuse me, for um, that person who prayed to receive Christ? Can we rejoice? It's awesome. Okay, Luke 15, 8 to 10. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Don't you just love Jesus? I love how he chooses very strategically the two heroes of these parables, a shepherd and a woman. And I think possibly he's trying to tweak the Pharisees by the nose by using these two groups of people. Pharisees don't like shepherds because they're very stinky and very dirty. And basically they have been banned from going into the synagogue or the temple because of their uncleanliness. And, you know, a lot of times we can, like, shake our heads and say, you know, how religious, how terrible the Pharisees are. Gotcha. Because that is us. When we do that, we're acting like a Pharisee. And we have a Pharisaical kind of attitude. And we identify with that kind of mentality. What I mean is, don't discount yourself as a religious Pharisee. Whenever you read a a story and he's talking about Pharisees, put your name in there with them. Because I think you'll get more out of the scripture reading if you do that. Because whenever we point the finger, there's three pointing back to us. And as far as women were concerned, we've already talked about that at length. The Pharisees pretty much felt that they were of second class. They used to say a prayer called the brakcha. Thanking God for not creating them as heathens, slaves, or women. Now, a heathen could become a believer, and a slave could buy his freedoms. But a woman was always a woman. So it must have stung when they heard Jesus use the shepherd and a woman as being the heroines of these parables. Now, who do you think would be our modern-day shepherds or women? I want some volunteers. Jim, the homeless. Who else? You got one, Nigel? No. Okay. Pardon? Yes, Jennifer. Okay. People have AIDS. And, you know, I'm going to, since Jennifer and Robert have been since converted, when the kids started coming, they didn't have space for any more kids. These are not the people that we were supposed to be getting. 
You know, we're supposed to reach out to these adults that have these kinds of problems. And so God had to kind of change their hearts and maybe change some of your hearts in the room. Benjamin. So children are, could be some of those. Benj? Homosexuals. That's true. Joyce? Absolutely. Somebody who has political views that are different than yours. Absolutely. Jennifer? A non-believer. Mm-hmm. An atheist. Benjamin? Politicians. Okay. We're listening. Yes, Susan. Pardon? Islamic. Okay. Did anybody get a little uneasy with any of those people, groups? If you did, then you, you are in good company with the Pharisees. Both the parables of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin highlight the need to put genuine, natural caring into practical action. Both parables highlight the joy that God feels in helping people turn to him and when they come back home. Now, in the coin mentioned in the, um, the parable of the lost coin, it was called a drachma. And it basically was worth one day's wages. So even if they had, you know, if you had five days wages in the bank and you lost one day wages, you would hunt through the sofa cushions under the car seat. You would look for that check or you would look for that money. Now, I have taped the equivalents of a day's wages under one of the seats in the auditorium. Would you take a moment to look for it, please? Y'all need to look because it might be underneath your seat. It's like a white envelope, and it says drachma on it. Anybody find it? Keep looking. You might have to look. You guys, keep looking. It hasn't been found yet. Uh-oh, somebody found it. Okay, you can stop looking. Come on up. Come on up, Rebecca. Everybody, just give her a hand. So you want to open that up and see how much is, how much money I make in a day? <laughs> Too bad it wasn't somebody else's paycheck. Hey, let's clap. Forty-three dollars. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for for giving that. Hey, but I got something else for you. Here, hey, here you go. For being a good sport. It's a gift certificate to Olive Garden. But I appreciate you getting my money back to me. And you're all clapping. We found my money. Actually, I didn't know where it was put because Randy put it away. He put it for me, so I, I didn't know where it was necessarily put. Okay. All right. See, we have fun at church. All right, now God is very excited when one of his folks returns, when one of his sheep is found, when one of the coins are found, and he throws a party when that happens by inviting the lost people and inviting the family together to celebrate. Now, we are all lost sheep. 
you know, we had music this morning, we had communion, we sing, we celebrate every Sunday. And this is the, an extension of the same party that's happening in heaven. And uh, somebody once said that maybe we should call ourselves the Lost Sheep Anonymous program. And so when I come up here, I can say, hi, I'm Clara and I'm a lost sheep. So I want to say to each other, hi, I'm whatever your name is and I'm a lost sheep. Would you do that? <laughs> After all, we're here to celebrate the extravagant love of our shepherd who risked everything, even death on the cross, to bring us home. Now, in the video, Izzy talks about this, quote, These are real women, just like we are. It's just that they've had a rough time. God wants us to embrace vision for our community, and he desires to see his extravagant love and his compassion flow out of us and splash out of us onto the community. Now let's look at verse 11 and 13 from Luke 15. Jesus continues, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, as I mentioned before, when he tells his dad, give me my inheritance, in essence he's saying, I wish you were dead. Now, though many people think that the word prodigal means lost, it actually means recklessly extravagant. And the prodigal son spends his inheritance on all kinds of wild stuff. And he was, un, he was very similar to Stanley Burrell, the MC Hammer. Now Stanley, when he started his career, he started by being a gospel rap, rapper in a group called Holy Ghost Boys. But then it turned his attention to fast cars, fast women, fast horse races, and fast friends. And for six years, Stanley played the part of the prodigal with amazing gusto, until his money and fame dried up. Now, verse 14 to 19 says in Scripture, After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a, city, uh, a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. Now circumstances and the Holy Spirit have a way to make us hungry. And Isaiah 55, verse 2, gets to the heart of the issue by asking this. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Apart from the Father, everything, cars, mansion, fame, perfect job, perfect spouse, perfect family, whatever we think will make us happy and fulfilled, eventually will feel very fleeting. Whenever we stray from the Father, something inside us, the Holy Spirit, continues to remind us of God's kindness and whispers, Listen to me, and you will eat what is good. 
you will enjoy the finest of food. Now it may be tempting to join the Pharisees, unjustly condemning people, immorality, and foolishness. But we must remember how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient our God is and has been to us. Because after all, it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And it definitely was the case of the lost son. Thinking about his father's provision and kindness was what led the son back home. And just as it drew Stanley Burrow back to his father God, Stanley finally realized that his worldly success had drawn him further and further away from his heavenly father, from his family, and true contentment. I believe changing our heart from the kind of judgment and demonstrated by the Pharisees to the kindness demonstrated by a heavenly father will remove some of the barriers you all mentioned earlier. They keep us from reaching out to our community. The Chevaliers and your community group are in the process of learning how to reach out to your community. That is what the Father is doing right now to this church. Mike McLean and the worship team are reaching out to the elderly. What are we to do? Let's look at verse 20 to 24 in chapter 15 of Luke. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a finger on his, a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now the father watched for his, father's, his son's return and was hoping and wishing and praying that someday he would see him on the horizon. Are you hoping for, are you believing for those around you who are not yet Christians? Do you have a son who's gone and you're hoping for his return? Do you have a friend who is in desperation and you're hoping for them to come to their senses? Are you hoping that someday they will come to know Christ because you have demonstrated patience, respect, and practical love, just as Izzy did to the homeless. Have you given up hope? Have you given up on tattooed teenagers, on homosexuals, or your greedy boss? Have you stopped praying and watching for them to come home? Filled with love and compassion, the father embraces his son and kisses him, God's love is the only thing we've got going for us. Bible tracts, TV evangelists, and Christian books are fine, but this story makes it clear that it is relationship and the power of the Father's love that draws his son home. When we operate in our other, other motives, people can feel it. They know it. They know when we're being disingenuous, they, and it's clearly demonstrated. People can feel God's love, embrace them, and they will feel safe. The father not only accepted his son, he also demonstrates extravagant prodigal respect for him. The father didn't just grudgingly allow his son to come back like a criminal on parole, but he showers him with honor and tells the servants, go get the finest robe in the ring. The son knew he did not deserve this kind of treatment. 
But the father's forgiveness is prodigal. It is reckless and extravagant. If anyone is the prodigal in this story, it is the father. He is the one who's reckless. Because he's already given half of his estate to this son. And now we see him doing it all over again. And we see the father showering his son again with everything that was symbolized. Right standing with the father and reinstating authority to make decisions concerning his existing estate. Let's look at this verse. Meanwhile, the other son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because we have him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but his answer was, Look, all these years I have slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when his son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Now, Jesus may have been speaking to the Pharisees in this story, but I think he's speaking to us. We need to be careful not to look down on people outside of our circle of friends and say, I'm glad I'm not one of them. This kind of self-focus is not biblical. In fact, it is the polar opposite of the extravagant love God has for us. Can't you just see the prodigality of God? No right-thinking father would give this kind of son another chance, would give him the keys to his house or power of attorney, which is basically the equivalent of the ring. How reckless is our God's love? How prodigal is our father? It just captures my heart. And Jesus is calling us, as a church, as a people, to this level of friendship, authenticity, and transparency that is not natural to us. On our own, we are not much more like the angry older brother. Jesus doesn't want us to fake it. People aren't stupid. They are, they are sensitive to our subtleties that reveal how we really feel about them. The good news is, Everything that the Father has, including his his reckless heart for people, is ours. If we ask and seek and knock, he will hear our prayers. He will fill our hearts with that kind of love. When it comes to outreach, asking usually refers to praying for compassion when we lack it. If you're one of those that realize, I have no passion for this, then pray asking God to fill you with his prodigal heart. Seeking refers to looking for opportunities to serve people that we wouldn't normally do. And knocking means actually touching the people's lives in practical ways over and over and over again. Every person is valuable. And Jesus tells us something important in this story about the shepherd's lost sheep, about the lost coin, and the father's lost son. People are valuable to God. Now, when we first moved to San Antonio to plant the Vineyard Church of San Antonio, Randy was walking around the city, and he heard the Lord said, Randy, pick up that penny. And he knows that there was a penny on the floor, and he picked it up. And from that point on, Randy began to collect pennies. 
And, you know, usually he wouldn't bother with pennies. I mean, maybe quarters, definitely dollars. But pennies, nickels, I mean, he really wouldn't bother to stop. But for weeks, out of obedience, Randy began to pick up pennies and nickels and put them in a jar. And he, when he filled that jar, then he began another one. Not really knowing why he was doing this, until one day, Randy was at a conference where Steve Schrogren, the pastor there, was teaching about servant evangelism. And he heard this story. Quote, Frustrated with the pressures of trying to encourage my church to reach out to my community, I, Steve Schrogren, went to Taco Bell drive through to get something to eat. In the silence between shouting my orders into the microphone, I picked up my food. Then God spoke to me. Now, it wasn't an audible voice. It was nearly a mental whisper. Steve, open your door. I have a present for you. Feeling a little silly, I stopped the car and opened my door. Ground to the pavement below was a scarred and tarnished penny. Gee, thanks. It was a sarcastic thought that went through my head. I dug practically worthless coin from the soft asphalt, and then God spoke again. In the world's eyes, a lot of people in the community you're trying to reach are like this penny. They're flawed, imperfect, and forgotten. Even churches don't see much value in wasting time on them. Through some eyes, they may look shabby and worthless, but to me, they're just like you, Steve. They're precious beyond measure. Tears streamed down his face, and Steve drove home with the penny, a bag of burritos, and a whole new understanding of the incredible value God places on broken, bothersome people. Now, when Randy heard this testimony, he wept, because now he knew the why of all those weeks of obedience. Randy, our pastor, wept and understood the heart of God. You watch and see, you'll see that Randy, myself, our kids, all have coins, collections that we have found in the street, and they represent to us lost people. And even if I'm dressed like a million, if I see a penny on that parking lot, you'll see me stoop down with my black heels and my stockings. My nylons, I don't wear stockings. I rarely wear stockings. But when I'm dressed up nice, I do. I will pick up that grimy penny. Because I don't want to forget, people matter to God, and they matter to me. In fact, that's why I'm still here. So today, if you see another penny on the floor, I want you to see that penny and that nickel and that dime, and let it remind you that lost people matter to God, and they should matter to us. It doesn't matter how dirty or how valueless the penny becomes. It is valuable to God. And God has called us to kingdom works. And part of that kingdom work is caring for the lost. And I want to ask you, what kind of ministry does the Lord want you to have? What kind of ministry does he want your community group to have? Whatever it is, it will be a community and a ministry that values people. That every person you meet is important to God. Now we're going to do one more thing before we leave. Right here, there's a jar of pennies. Can I have somebody help, help me? Because this is like really heavy. And I want you to just pour it, Joy, right across the wall on the, flo- on the floor right there. Just pour it on like a big line. Could be a little bit closer together. 
So they have to work so hard to find them. <laughs> yeah, just get down, on, like on your knees, and just, yeah, there you go. Yeah, so it doesn't, there you go. Okay, there is on the floor 29,000 pennies. And I would like you to all come up and grab as many as your hands can hold. And what I would like to challenge you with is that let those pennies represent the loss for you. The loss that the Lord wants you to reach and touch. And every single time you do an act of kindness for someone in the community, I want you to return the penny. I'm going to leave this jar, empty jar, at the back of the table. And we'll just work on this until we get to about Easter time. We'll see how we did. And no one's going to check on you. No one's going to be asking you. The community groups aren't going to say, how are you doing with those pennies? You're just going to see that jar. You're going to see it empty. And then you're just going to say, you know what? I'm going to do something about this. And I don't want you to just put money in there because you want it full, but I want you to actually activate this teaching. So just come on up here. Let's grab these pennies. Don't leave 50, you know, 15000 for me. All right? <laughs> Take as many as you can grab and be about the Father's business. Thank you all. I love you. I'm proud of you. We'll see you next week.